before I let you guys get into today's episode, I just wanted to remind you to follow the feed here on Spotify or whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Just follow the feed, subscribe, do whatever it's called on the platform you're on. But yeah, and then you could also go check out the YouTube channel as well and subscribe over there um, for like video content. Uh, it's kind of separate from the podcast. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff over there as well. But yeah, you don't have to subscribe or anything if you don't want to, obviously. Just that I would remind people if they wanted to. That would be much appreciated. I'll let you guys get into today's episode, which is featuring an interview with the one and only Isaiah Roby. So yeah, enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Bob Cousy episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 14. My name is Logan Wortman. That one was kind of forced. There weren't many prominent number 14s that came to my mind. Honestly, this should really be known as the Isaiah Roby episode, but unfortunately, I don't know of him ever wearing 14, and I'm not about to just abandon this gimmick now. So yeah, on the topic of jersey numbers, though, uh, there were a couple things I wanted to hit on in this intro before I let you guys get into the interview with Isaiah Roby that will be coming up shortly. But yeah, I'm recording this intro on Thursday, August 11th. It was just announced a few hours ago that the NBA will officially be retiring the jersey number six league-wide in honor of Bill Russell. Before I get into my reaction on this or any thoughts at all, I just want to say RIP to Bill Russell because I haven't got the chance to really say it on the show yet since he passed away a couple weeks ago now. But I'm sure you're all well aware of Bill Russell's legacy and the contributions that he's made to the game of basketball. Just for some examples... He's an 11-time NBA champion. He's a five-time NBA MVP. He's the first-ever black head coach in any major North American sports league. The NBA Finals MVP award is named after him, and he's very widely considered to be one of the greatest players and especially defenders in the history of basketball. But yeah, so uh, I guess my reaction to this, honestly, I'm really surprised. I first saw you know, that Magic Johnson had requested the league to do this, just shortly after Bill Russell passed away. I thought it was a, a nice gesture. And I guess I, I took it about as seriously as I took the whole uh, changing the NBA logo to Kobe Bryant thing, which was like, you know, it's it's a pretty cool idea, but I don't think it will happen. And it, re- it really doesn't need to happen. You know, it seems like a kind of a rushed thing to just do in the moment. And it's not like precedented in any way. And like the main reason I thought it wouldn't happen is because LeBron wears number six currently on the Lakers. But I'm honestly not too surprised about, I guess, that detail of it, like him being okay with it, because I'm sure he's probably just going to switch back to 23 because he does that every couple of years now, I guess. But I was a little bit surprised, I guess, from Nike's point of view, though. You know, the last time LeBron was switching from 23 to number six, which was like a year or two ago now. Uh, Nike was resistant to it at first. I believe they actually made him wait an entire year before he could do it because like things dealing with contracts of like, you know, product deals and all that kind of stuff with the branding involving the number 23. So I'm, I was kind of surprised to see that apparently he's just going to very easily be able to switch it this time and Nike won't put up too much of a fight. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess it's kind of cool. Like, part of me really appreciates it, but the other part of me is kind of worried about getting into the whole territory of 
retiring numbers league-wide. This is the first time that's ever happened in the NBA. And I honestly didn't know about this until this conversation came up, but I saw somebody had shared and made the point in favor of the number six being retired that apparently in the NHL league-wide, the number 99 is retired, I guess, for Wayne Gretzky. And so that's a pretty good point. But I guess the only thing I would say to that is like Wayne Gretzky is almost like the combination of Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain and Michael Jordan, like all kind of thrown into one person for the sport of hockey, um, at least as far as I understand, just because, you know, he's like by far the all time statistics leader, has all of the records dominating at his peak as well as like just career total numbers. And as far as I know, at least I'm pretty sure he's basically consensus. Like there's nobody that disagrees in the hockey world that he's not the goat. Um, I might be wrong on that. I guess I should probably do a little bit more research, but I've always known him as like the unquestionable goat of hockey. So, you know, Bill Russell isn't totally the equivalent of that in basketball. You know, he's definitely among the greatest players of all time, but he's by no means like a consensus, even top three. Like, I don't know if you asked me this question like a year ago, what I think about the question of if we were to retire a number league wide, what number would it be? Number six would definitely be one of the main contenders for Bill Russell, obviously, but the, I don't know. I, I feel like I probably would have leaned 23 with Michael Jordan, especially after LeBron has worn it too. Yeah, I don't know. Probably one of those two, I would have to say. Anyways, um, just saw that. Wanted to mention that really quick. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to talk about in this intro was Kevin Durant, obviously. So the newest update with KD is a couple days ago, he gave Joe Sy, who's the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, an ultimatum. Basically, he said that the Nets would have to either trade him or fire head coach Steve Nash, as well as... Uh, general manager Sean Marks. So yeah, anytime something like this happens, it's definitely interesting. But this one is especially interesting to me, uh, just because of Steve Nash and Kevin Durant's like prior relationship. There was all that stuff about how KD was cool with Steve Nash because um, Nash was a consultant with the Warriors, uh, so they spent some time training and working together there for a few years. But yeah, so now I guess Durant just wants Steve Nash gone as head coach there, even after advocating to Sean Marks for Steve Nash to be hired as the head coach just a few seasons ago now. Which brings me to the next thing, which is uh, the situation with Sean Marks. I was a little surprised to see that it was both of them that he, he wants fired, I guess. Like I said, Steve Nash one kind of surprised me a little bit, but the Sean Marks one especially surprises me um, because... Like, I guess I don't know everything that's gone on behind closed doors. I can't really know, you know, so maybe there's some important missing information here. As far as like what is available to the public, Sean Marks has always seemed to do exactly what Kevin Durant wants. Like he sacrifices very clearly the betterment of the team at times. He's he's been known to do that in order to appease Kevin Durant or Kyrie, you know, the, or like the combination of, of them, I guess. So I'd say mainly like exhibit A of that is uh, the whole DeAndre Jordan series of events. <laughs> you know, not just the fact that they uh, signed him to a four-year, $40 million deal, 
which was way more than he was worth at the time, uh, the same summer that Kevin Durant and Kyrie signed there. Uh, and then on top of that, throughout you know the first season or two that they were in Brooklyn, they continually played DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen. They would start him a lot of games as kind of like this guaranteed role thing. Like it, it even faded into like he was not playing very many minutes, but he had to start every game. And then in the James Harden deal, they basically just threw away Jared Allen for nothing. They sent him to Cleveland in that deal, and I honestly don't really remember what they even got back on top. I think they he was thrown in there for salary, um, if I'm if I can remember correctly. What I'm trying to say is he wasn't part of the deal to get Harden really. Like he didn't go to the Rockets. It wasn't a, he wasn't like a, a trade piece to get Harden. He was just a detail in that deal to make that deal work, I guess. And you know Jared Allen very clearly was a very good young center that had potential to be one of the better centers in the league. And he has done nothing but start to blossom into that uh, pretty rapidly in Cleveland. Like just last year, which was his first full season there, he became an all-star. And he's, I think, pretty clearly a top 10 center in the NBA right now. And the Nets have had a hole at center ever since that deal. So, um, And DeAndre Jordan's not even on the team anymore because... He clearly was not able to play uh, the minutes that um, they needed at that spot. So, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of confuses me with how KD says he doesn't like the direction of Steve Nash and Sean Marks, what what they have for the Nets or whatever, um, when it's been like, you know, their direction has just been whatever he wants. It'll be interesting to see where KD ends up. I'm, I'm sure it'll happen, even though he has a full four years left on his deal. And this is just nuts at this point that somebody with that many years left on his deal can just force his way out of a situation. But yeah, that's where we are right now, I guess, with the whole player empowerment era. It'll be interesting to see what the league does to kind of counteract that um, if they do, because it definitely affects the public perception of the league for sure, whether it be like entertainment value or just, like I said, just general perception. I know of many people uh, in my life, when they talk about the NBA or when I hear them talking about the NBA, a lot of times it is pretty negative um, and has to do with this kind of stuff. So, yeah, we'll see where things go, I guess, from there. Yeah, he's probably going to end up in either Boston uh, or Philly, which was the other stuff that came out just the other day. Katie being quoted saying that Boston and Philly are both desirable landing spots for him. Philly would be very interesting just going and joining James Harden again. Um even after James Harden just, you know, kind of quit on the Nets and KD and forced his way out to the Sixers not too long ago. But yeah, that deal would probably be Harris as like the main salary part of that deal, uh, Tobias Harris, and then Tyrese Maxey as like the core player asset. And then, you know, maybe a few players on the side like Matisse Thibel and Forkan Korkmaz, and then definitely a slew of picks. We'll be interested to see how many picks or how big of a deal, I guess, the Nets will be able to pull at this point with you know this whole ultimatum thing and this thing being very public. It kind of puts the Nets in a position where they don't have a lot of leverage to come away with a whole lot, you know, just compared to what they would be able to get on the normal trade market without all of this, you know, drama stuff on the side of it. But yeah, I still think Toronto is a contender to get him. Um, Phoenix is probably out. Miami might still be in it. I don't know. I thought about the Clippers for a second, but they don't have any picks. They might have a couple now, but they're really distant because they already traded them all for Paul George. 
but I was thinking Paul George could be the center of a deal. That would be interesting. But then uh, New Orleans is another really interesting one uh, for Brandon Ingram and picks. And then the most intriguing ones, but I don't know how likely they are, uh, would be Golden State going back to the Warriors or going back to the Thunder. That that one would be especially interesting. <laughs> Both those teams would definitely be able to make a deal for him, but you know it would be odd. But yeah, without further ado, I'll stop talking, let you guys get into the interview that I recorded with Isaiah Roby, which was a lot of fun. It's the first time I ever interviewed somebody. So, you know, cut me some slack there, I guess. You know, the only guests I've had on this show before are just my friends, Anthony and Jacob, to talk about the league. So it was really cool to actually be able to interview somebody from within the league. But yeah, I thought it went pretty well. We started off going through, you know, kind of his childhood, where he grew up in Illinois, um, went through high school, college, draft stuff, and then basically through his career in the NBA as well. So yeah, I'm going to let you guys just get into that now. Enjoy. All right, so I'm sitting with Isaiah Roby, recently acquired forward for the San Antonio Spurs, a uh, former Cornhusker as well. Isaiah, how's it going? Doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, you know, happy to be back in Lincoln for a little bit and, you know, see some old friends, but, you know, happy to be on a pod for sure. Yeah, no, thanks for joining. I'm excited to talk. Tanner's introduced us a couple times before, but we never really got to talk much about the NBA, which I should probably mention, I guess, our connection is my brother-in-law, Tanner. He, you know, was a teammate and roommate of yours in college. And in exchange for, you know, setting up this whole thing, he wanted me to ask you about what it was like getting dunked on yeah. by him. You know, <laughs> so so just to set the record straight on this, I was set up from the beginning. Like, it was a drill, and we all know Tanner as, as somebody. He's, we don't know him as a high flyer, you know? Like, so for him to dunk on me, you know, it had to be a setup. Mm-hmm. So there was a drill where... You, uh, I think it was like you contest a shot, you take a charge, you get up, you contest a layup. So usually, like you know, the coaches are passing the ball around. They set it up to where like you're on your way up before the guy gets the ball to get a full head of steam, come downhill and try to dunk on you. But they, I think the coaches kind of conspired with Tanner a little bit. So I took, I took the charge, and I'm still on my back, and Tanner's got the ball in his hand. So I'm trying to stand up. And he's coming downhill, and he, he he caught me. He caught me. And there's a video. I know Tanner has a video saved. Uh, every time he posts it, I just I just block him for like a couple of days. But uh, yeah, there's a video out there. But it was a setup for sure. Yeah, because I think you were one of like the leading shot blockers in in college, weren't you? That mm. junior year. Yeah, I, I had yeah, pretty good. Uh, you know, I, li- I like my chances against Tanner. <laughs> meeting him at the rim, but he, yeah. he caught me. I think I caught him a few more times than that, but. No, I'll let him have that. Yeah, just that I'd throw that one out there as a little thank you to Tanner. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Tanner. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've got some other questions for you. Um, I'm going to go through them, like, chronologically. So we'll start your hometown, mm-hmm. Dixon, Illinois. In preparation for this, I did some research, looked at the Wikipedia page for, mm-hmm. for Dixon, Illinois. Oh, man. Uh, I got curious when I saw the Notable People section. Yeah. I was. I began to wonder if you were like the most famous person from your town or not. I'm not. <laughs> so I sifted through them, and I was really surprised by just like the star power coming out of Dixon, Illinois, because mm-hmm. it's only like fifteen thousand, right? Population? Yeah, it's a small town. Small town. Yeah. So, uh, how many people do you think are on that list that like they're more famous than you are? More famous than me? Yeah. Um, out of Dixon, I know. Off the top of my head, I know two for sure. Um, I know one that's more infamous than me, so I'll, I'll add her to the list. That's oh, three. Really? I might have missed that one. 
Oh uh, yeah, there's there's a inf- there's a more infamous person than me for sure. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll say three. I'll three. Say three. That's what I counted as well. Okay. So uh, I might have missed some if I you know didn't know exactly who they were, but the uh, three I saw were Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. uh, John Deere, which it said yeah. he's actually from Grand Detour. Grand Detour. Uh, well, Detour. dang, I never heard nobody say it like that. It's it's <laughs> called uh, yeah, it's called Grand Detour. Okay. But some people say Grand Detour, I guess. I never I never heard that though. Yeah. It's there's, like a little village, like. Uh, there's no stoplight in that town. Oh, really? But yeah, I got like I got family in there. So, okay. Yeah. Nice. And then the founder of Walgreens mm-hmm. was the other one. Mm-hmm. I know. I always I always bring that up when uh, like my teammates are like giving me crap about being from a small place. I'm like, you know, next time you're sick, next time you, <laughs> you got a stomach ache, you go to Walgreens get some Pepto Bismol. Just you know, that's you got to pay homage to Dixon, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Ronald Reagan's from there too, and he's got you know all types of statues and. His house is there. His the house he grew up in is like a museum. So oh, really? it's like yeah. So being from Dixon, that's like, you know, he's he's royalty there for sure. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. I was really surprised seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how far away is Dixon from Chicago? Um, so it's about an hour and a half west of Chicago. Okay. So um, about an hour south of Wisconsin and an hour east of Iowa. Okay. So it's kind of like that's kind of how I grew up playing, like playing ball. I was able to go to you know all these different places and be kind of close to bigger to bigger cities so you know I had to drive about an hour and a half to get everywhere but I was able to get to different spots you know Mm kind of easily so yeah so how many people went to your high school um less than a thousand maybe like I think my graduating class was like maybe 250 ish so right around you know like I think we had a bigger class, but I think I want to say I graduated and there was maybe like seven hundred some kids in my school. You know, okay. so pretty pretty small school. You know, you, you know everybody that goes there. And, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you know the you know the parents from everybody. So yeah, it's small town stuff for sure. Yeah. No, my graduating class was like sixty. Oh, in wow. Milford, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. I know. Whenever I meet somebody from Nebraska and I say I'm from a town of sixteen thousand, <laughs> I say it's small. They're like, you know, in Nebraska, that's not so small. Yeah. But, you know, it's each his own. Yeah. And yeah, so if. You're, you said about an hour and a half from Chicago, mm-hmm. so you grew up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed, I think I saw on like either an interview you were in or something you put on your IG story that you weren't a Bulls fan growing up. You were actually mm-hmm. a Blazers fan. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Just me being difficult as a kid. Like, <laughs> um, you know, everybody from where I'm from, either, you know, they're Packers, Bears, Cubs, Sox, uh, Bulls, but. I think I just like just wanted to be different and difficult as a kid, so I, I just started picking all random teams from around the country for like all my favorite teams. Oh, so really? like you know I'm like, and I didn't really do a good job of picking them because we haven't like I've won I won a World Series with my favorite team. I'm a Phillies fan. Okay. So yeah. you know we won that 2000 I think it was 2008 World Series 2007, um, but you know I'm a Jaguars fan. Haven't had much success there. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Blazers fan, like you mentioned, and then a Capitals fan. We also won a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Like, what, I think a few years ago. Two, three years ago now. So, you know, I got some success. But, uh, yeah, just, t- just kind of trying to be different. <laughs> and, like, I kind of had, like, favorite players from each team. Like, I played quarterback growing up. So, you know, I kind of – my play style was kind of like David Gerrard. I don't know if you remember oh, him. Yeah. Uh, he was with, you know, those Jacksonville teams with, like, Maurice Jones-Drew, Mercedes Lewis. And then, uh, you know, I played baseball for one year. Felt like I was Ryan Howard, so you know. Oh, yeah. So I went with the Phillies, but yeah, no, no, no Chicago teams for me. Nice. You just answered a few of my next questions with sports growing up and everything. So. Oh, really? Well, wow. I'm headed again. But yeah. So 
Blazers fan, when I was seeing that, I was trying to think about how maybe you could have got there. Mm-hmm. I was like, I guess Blazers were pretty good early 2000s. Bulls weren't so good back then. So that kind of makes sense. Uh, similar with me with like the Huskers. I was never like that big of a Husker basketball fan, even mm-hmm. though I love basketball. Right. Just because we were never very good. Right. <laughs> it really wasn't until Tanner started playing there that I started paying more attention. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a Nuggets fan. And I'm actually Denver everything, and that kind of was a coincidence because how I got to the Nuggets was when I was little, I asked my dad what the closest NBA team to us was, and he was Mm -hmm. like, probably the Denver Nuggets, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go for them. (laughs) Okay. And I also really liked those teams with Mellow and AI. Kenya Martin. Yeah, Kenya Martin. Yeah, those fun teams. Fun teams for sure. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the Broncos were my favorite NFL team literally just because I liked their logo. That's good. That's a good reason. I mean, you got you got Russell now. Yeah, uh, what, exactly. What's, uh, Russell, and what you probably so that would have been like what around like Tim Tebow's time when you started liking them, or before that? Uh, probably before that. Oh, okay. A little bit before that. Back okay. with uh, Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bears legend right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. So I decided I'll probably just stick with Denver in mm-hmm. every sport. So now I got the Avs, who just won the Stanley Cup this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Rockies, not really, don't pay too much attention to baseball, but. Yeah, I watch in October. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was going to ask about sports growing up, mm-hmm. but you kind of answered that a little bit. I guess, like, when did you think that, or when did you first know that basketball was, like, the sport for you? Probably when I got my first offer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, when I was, like, 16. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, I, I grew up playing, you know, I played football, basketball, soccer, baseball. Um, I was really bad at baseball. You know, my friends always gave me crap because I would, like, I would stand pretty much out of the batter's box. I was afraid to get hit, <laughs> and I got hit one time in the head and got the laces, like oh, the mark stuck in my face. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. So I stopped playing. I hit, I had a, I hit one home run in my baseball career. That's like my, that's my claim to fame. But <laughs> other than that, I was terrible. Uh, football I was really good at. Um, you know, for my age group, um, I played from like third grade to freshman year, and then. Um, hit my growth spurt, and that's when I kind of started taking basketball a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't even play AAU really growing up until I played for like a small travel team when I was like 14. And then um, one of my friends actually invited me to a showcase slash tryout mm-hmm. for this for this AAU team called Quad City Elite. And um, you know, I played really well, and they were like, we would love to have you on a team. Um, we're not sponsored, so you have, to, you have to pay for it yourself, which was tough for me and my family because, you know, we didn't come from, you know, the best financial situation. But uh, my mom was able to help make it work, and, I, you know, she had me mowing lawns and uh, raising money. And once I joined that team, I didn't even start on that team at first. Like, I, I think it took me two seasons, like two summers, to start on the AAU team. And this, the first year I started starting is when I started getting offers. So, um, you know, that's really th- when I – started to get more and more excited about basketball and realized like I could really, you know, make something out of this. Yeah. Was it hard getting recruited there? You said you got an yeah. offer when you were 16? Yeah. I think my first offer was from NIU, uh, Northern Illinois, which is like 25 minutes away from Dixon. So like, it was really cool. For me, I was like, oh, NIU, that's that's like the biggest offer like I'm going to get. Like, that'd be awesome to go to NIU. <laughs> and then like a couple, couple tournaments went by and then, you know, I got Power 5 schools calling me and, you know, coaches, you know, reaching out to my family and um, so my my recruiting picked up really fast, and Nebraska just you know they stood out because they were they seemed to prioritize me more than other schools. Like I know like Northwestern was high on me early, but you know they canceled a couple of my visits. They were supposed to come watch me play open gym, and then mm. they ended up canceling them. So I just didn't feel like much of a priority. And then Iowa was high on me, but they ended up 
getting some, you know, guys in my position, you know, like Tyler Cook and oh, yeah. uh, I don't know if I remember Cordell Pemzel. Um, so, like, you know, that kind of I kind of stopped talking to them as much. Um, but Nebraska was really, um, you know, they prioritized me really heavily and they would call my family, call my mom, my grandma, uh, check up on my little brothers, uh, you know, pop in at open gyms randomly. So, you know, they did a really good job recruiting me and making me feel like I was really wanted here. Yeah, I've heard that a lot about uh, Miles, that he was a really good, you know, players guy. For sure. Yeah, yeah. He, him and, and Coach Mo, uh, he was my head recruiter. And in Illinois, he's like, like he coached at, I think, maybe four or five Division One schools in Illinois. So he's like really heavily respected in the state. So when he would come to watch my games and these, you know, these small gyms in the middle of, you know, these, these, uh, these towns in Illinois, like it was, it was definitely big to see him up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And how about how tall were you at that point in high school? Like six six probably. Yeah, about six six. Yeah. Six six probably like, hundred and sixty pounds. You know, <laughs> just just real thin. Just um, you know, I've just had a lot of a lot of length and athleticism, but like, you know, I needed a lot of work still. You know. Yeah. Did you kind of grow up as a post or? No, I actually grew up playing guard. Um, I, I always played up. Like I always played with guys older than me. So, um, I remember like the first year I played like structured basketball was like you know we all grew up playing biddy ball and I played biddy ball at like I had a game in the morning like 9 a.m. and it was just like demoralizing for the other kids like I remember the other the kid on the, or the other team's coach was like no way this kid's seven years old like you got <laughs> like why is he playing like the kids are like just having a terrible time and then after that game they're like you got to go up and ever since then I just played up so you know I was playing like in fifth grade I played like I played on the eighth grade B team smallest kid out there so I was playing guard and um, I think that kind of helped my skills, you know, translate. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, I think that's one thing that coaches can really do that it, like, it, like stops a kid from developing. You know, if you grow up in these small towns and you're 6'4", you're mm-hmm. the tallest kid on the team, oh, we're going to put you in the post. But it's like, if you're 6'4", that's a point guard. You yeah. know, it's like in, in college and the NBA. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I was definitely thankful for, you know, my opportunity to, to play all positions because, you know, that's that's still what I do today. I play, you know, multiple positions now. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that definitely help you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, like, they say the same type of thing about younger siblings. Mm-hmm. Like Michael Jordan being a younger sibling and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like yeah. where they they have to develop these skills to beat their opponent who outmatches them physically. Right. Then, once the, like, once they grow up and once they, you know, meet the same athleticism and stuff like that, then they're a monster. Yeah, for sure. So I that makes sense, though, that you played guard because um, I definitely noticed, like, the – running the floor and ability to play make and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, for your position. Yeah, so. it's big. I mean, with the direction that the NBA is going, like you got to be able to do all that unless you're, you know, unless you're like just a freak athlete. Like then I'm talking about like the like Zion type athleticism mm-hmm. or, you know, um, Steven Adams type strength. You have to be able to do everything, you know, otherwise. So that's where the league is going, you know, and uh, that's why I'm, I think that's why I've been able to have such success that, that I have so far. Yeah. For sure. Um, so, like I said before, I haven't watched like growing up at least. I didn't watch a lot of Nebraska basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my wife Tasia and I, we started coming to PBA to watch Tanner, especially his senior year, mm-hmm. um, which was your junior year, obviously. So that team was James Palmer Jr., Isaac Copeland Jr., uh, Glenn Watson Jr., Thomas Allen Jr., <laughs> a lot of juniors. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever notice that while you guys were playing that you had so many juniors? Yeah, we did. We talked about it. And I think at one point. I can't remember if they had the the junior on their jersey or not. I can't remember that, but I remember just thinking like, damn, we do got a lot of juniors. Yeah. And um, 
but yeah, that's that's kind of just a funny coincidence. Yeah, I remember seeing that when I, like in the crowd. I think they probably had it up on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. honestly, because that's where I was like, how? What's the like probability they have literally four in the starting lineup? Like, right, right. That <laughs> makes me, it makes me want to have a junior. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, Deshaun Burke was. I mean, he was, re- he was redshirting. Yeah, he was, he was a junior also. also. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, yeah, that season, Huskers started off like from what I remember at least. I didn't look up the schedule or anything. They start off pretty well. Mm-hmm. You guys were top 25 for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but then there was a really rough slump, like middle of the season. And I can't remember if that was – if Isaac Copeland, he tore his ACL during that slump or he it was at the start of the slump. I can't really remember either. That seems like a long time ago. Like, <laughs> But uh, I think – I want to say that happened at the start because I remember we had, like, really close games, like, you know uh, – Lost to Michigan State at home by like two or three or whatever, and then uh, once once Isaac went down, it was just like you know tough loss after tough loss. It was just hard to to, to get a win, and um, that was kind of a tough way to to go through that season because we had so much you know promising talent that year, and mm-hmm. we had a lot of expectations that year. So it was definitely tough to have you know one of our key guys go down like that. But yeah, you know that's that's definitely something that I always think about for that season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then uh, Tanner actually got to start mm-hmm. the rest of that season um, in front or in place of Isaac. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember it was a really fun run in the Big Ten tournament. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember if you you went to the NIT for sure. But did you get past the first round? I can't remember. Yeah, we played the first round here uh, against Butler. A Butler, that, yeah, yeah, we beat right. them, and mm-hmm. then we went to TCU. TCU. Yeah. And, that was not a fun game. I don't. I, honestly, I had never watched that game over again. I got that was my first time getting kicked out of a game. Oh really? Yeah, I got I got thrown out for uh, I fouled out and I got a tech on my last foul. So they were like, just, just go to the locker room. <laughs> but yeah, that was not a very good way to end my college career at all. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, yeah. That season, at least like the last part of it, uh, that just got really fun. I remember there yeah. were like memes and everything where they would put all your guys' faces on the Avengers and mm-hmm. stuff yeah. like that. It was awesome. I yeah. mean, at the end of the year, it was kind of like the Big Ten tournament is it's really fun because it's like, you know, this is – I mean, it's more fun, obviously, if you're in a position to play yourself into the tournament. Like, okay, we need one or two wins and we'll make the NCAAs. Like, yeah. that's how we felt the year before kind of. Um, but the, our la- my last year here – it was like you know we have nothing to lose. You know this this season didn't go how how we had planned, and you know we've had injuries, and you know we, we kind of just have a next man up mentality. You know, and, and somebody like Johnny Trueblood just fully embodied that. You know, yeah. like Johnny Trueblood, he played a lot at the end of the year, in the in that tournament he was making huge plays. Like if if you're like a real basketball fan and you know the game, like you might not look at the box score and see like oh Johnny's got. 30 points like you're not gonna see yeah. that but mm-hmm. he, he was really a really big reason why we were able to win you know two games in the tournament and he was out there having fun and interacting with the crowd so it yeah. was I always remember that part about that and, and then just everybody even the bench was you know they're having a good time we had Copeland was out and uh, Thomas Allen also was out and both of those guys were on the bench having a good time cheering us on so you know it was definitely a great way to um end that season that's that's like the biggest memory I have from that year for sure yeah and Johnny Trueblood was a fan favorite for sure. For sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, but I remember like Tasia and Tanner's family uh, asking me because there were rumors back then about like mock drafts and stuff like that. You mm. could have potentially be drafted, and they were like, "What do you see? Like, do you think he could be in the NBA?" Mm. And honestly, I even said back then, I was like, "He's the most complete, like all around mm. uh, prospect that I feel like Nebraska's had 
ever probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just like really good size, like 6'8", 230, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like just the skill, good feel, like we talked about before, playing point guard growing up, athleticism, like you're a legit lob threat, mm-hmm. even in the NBA still, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, shot blocker, especially at college level. I think you led the Big Ten. In, oh, dude. Yeah, I think you did. Hey, you throw, you're throwing numbers at me. I don't yeah. even know about <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, framework for a jump shot, too. It's just really good-looking form mm-hmm. and everything, um, which came to fruition, especially last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then even able to create a little bit of space, like a little bit of your own shot in space, stuff like that. So yeah. all really good stuff for the NBA. For sure. And and it was tough that, that offseason, like, making the decision because like, I wasn't a first-round lock. But also, it's like, you know, the NBA prioritizes youth. And yeah, like, sure. you know, if So it's kind of like a battle between, like, do I go back to Nebraska with, you know, new coaching staff, new teammates, and try to, you know, whatever, average this to show I can do it? Or, you know, have I, have I done all I can do here? And, you know, now I'm going to rely on my skill at the next level. So that was kind of what that came down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that was a tough decision. Yeah, it um, was. But you're – there's actually you were the first of three Huskers mm-hmm. that got drafted within the last four years. You were uh, pick 45 yep. in um, 2019. Yep. And then Banton Delano Banton was 46 in 2021, mm-hmm. and Bryce McCowns I think went 40th this year. Yeah. So, I guess what was your draft experience like? Like the where'd you watch it from? Were there any surprises? Yes, for sure. Uh, I watched it from uh, I watched it in Dixon. Had a, a draft party in Dixon. Um, you know, just close friends, uh, old coaches, family, um, old teammates. You know, they all came out to support. And it was a long night because that whole day was just like I was just like nervous the whole day because mm-hmm. again, like there's only 60 spots and there's you know 80 guys who think they're going. You know, yeah. So it's like. I had a really good. I had. I was confident in myself and confident in the summer I had and, and mm-hmm. what I did in the, the combine and and interviews I had with teams and and the feedback I was getting from teams. Like I was pretty confident, but still, like I was nervous until I heard my name. Mm-hmm. And I actually was told. Um, I was called, but my, my agent called me and pretty much said, like, you know, we we have a team that's going to take you at at this pick. And so once he said that, I was like, okay, fine. I'm, my, all my nervousness, all my nervousness is gone because I'm either going at this pick or, or higher. So yeah. I was like, okay, let's let's start having a little fun. Let's you know, we we all started cracking up, you know, cracking jokes and just just having a good time. And then when that pick came, they traded it the, the pick before. So once they, they traded, traded up one, they traded back. Oh, they traded back. So the pick that I was supposedly going to be picked at got traded. And so I was so once that happened, everybody got really nervous. Like the party got quiet. Um, you know, like. My mom's wondering what's going on, like, and so I started to get a little nervous. And then at that point, the pick started going a little faster because it was they started doing. Like, and then they they didn't take you the next pick either. No, so so it was Dallas. They ended up taking me still. But, oh, okay. But they had originally they had the thirty seventh pick, and they were taking me there. Okay. And they ended up trading back to the forty fifth, and I was still available, so I ended up still getting picked by Dallas. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Um, but scary. it was definitely nervous. It was definitely nerve wracking, and and then. I guess technically the pick was made by Detroit. Yeah. But so everybody was like, "Oh yeah, you're going to Detroit," but like it was, it was always Dallas. Yeah, I hate how the NBA draft works. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand it. It's yeah. like you know, you get picked by one team, but the other team owns the rights, and then yeah. you can get traded to another team. So now you got three different hats on. Yeah, like, exactly. Everybody's you know, wearing the wrong hat on yeah, draft night. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, after that, you know, I was just like, it was just surreal to hear my name and 
Um, you know, 15 minutes after I get drafted, I'm talking to Mark Cuban on the phone and Donnie Nelson, and it's like, yeah, uh, it's just like stuff you dream about. You know, as a, as as a hooper, like, um, you know, tonight I'll never forget. Got to be got to be around, you know, my loved ones, and um, so it was it was special for sure. Yeah, I know that's dope. Yeah, yeah. So when you first got to the Mavs, I guess. Was there any discussions as far as like coaching or training where they would like try to get you developed into a certain role, like work on certain skills over others? Uh, not really. It was kind of like I kind of just worked on all all aspects. Yeah, you know, it was kind of tough because um, you know I wasn't really too much of a priority in Dallas just because you know they had I was the only pick. I was a second round pick. You know, they they got you know a young squad with. You know, Luca, Jalen Brunson, um, Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had their core guys already. So it, it almost felt like they were kind of trying to figure out how I could help the team that year. And it was tough because I had a, I was battling a foot injury. So I could oh, never yeah. really I could never really get, um, you know, I could never really string together like a full three weeks of, of playing because after two weeks it was it was hard to walk. So you know I had to deal with that. And then you know I would I would work out with you know different coaches. Um, so I work on obviously work on shooting. That's the number one thing uh, that you know that, that can get you on the court nowadays is defense and shooting. But then I also spend some days working you know working ball handling with Sham God. You know Sham God was one of our assistant coaches. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. you know one day I might be I mean I might be working out with Boban and and Dwight Powell on on, on, on lobs and, and post D, and then the next day I was doing ball handling with Sham God. You know yeah. so I was kind of all over the place. But you know I think that's that's good. It, it was a sign that you know they. They wanted me to be efficient at all these different skills, and that's that's something I carried over to OKC for sure. But in Dallas, that was that was kind of a, no, I wouldn't say I was lost, but it was you know I was just trying to find my spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you spent some time. You played a little bit with the Texas Legends, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I spent a lot. I spent you know probably like twenty five games in the G League already in my first three years, um, and you know it's definitely been. Um, that first time getting sent down, I guess, I mean, they say sent down, but like you have a, I feel like most people have a misconception about the G League that it's like, oh, you're being demoted and mm-hmm. um, the, the talent down there is not good and, and it's not going to be a challenge. Just go down there and, and get up a bunch of shots and then come back out to the Mavs. But it's, if you go down there and, and don't take guys seriously, they're like, they'll, they will embarrass you. Like these yeah. are still, these are still some of the best basketball players in the world. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, so thankfully I was, I, I was, I had, you know, good people in my ear saying like, "Don't take this for granted." Like, every every opportunity you get down there is another opportunity, not only for the Mavs to watch you, but other teams to watch you. Yeah. So um, I was definitely blessed to be in that position. You know, we had um, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, the Jet. Why am I, why am I blanking on Jason his? Terry? Jason Terry. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why he was the uh, like the GM of the Texas Legends. Okay. So you know I we didn't had know that. yeah. So we had uh, I think that was his position because it, it was Jerry. It was um, it was him, and then. Um, Spud Webb also. They're both part of the front <laughs> office for the for the Texas Legends. That's so, cool. Yeah, so it was, I was able to speak with them a lot, and you know they were able to kick some game to me and just be like, you know, this is just another opportunity, another step in your in your story. So take advantage of it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, and so I think it was like mid year, maybe January, something like that, when Dwight Powell went mm-hmm. down towards ACL. Mm-hmm. After that happened. Um, I was kind of wondering what was going to happen with you because mm-hmm. you I knew that you were struggling. You had plantar fasciitis, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I wasn't sure if they were going to, you know, try to start rotating you in, especially with, you know, Porzingis, they like to play him, like, next to another five. Right. Um, so I was like, maybe he's going to be moved, you know, and which did end up happening. They sent you to OKC mm-hmm. for 
uh, somebody went to Creighton, right? It was uh, Justin Patton. Yeah, Justin Patton. Yeah. So and then also they used your salary dump to get Willie Colley Stein, right? As well. Right. So yeah, yeah. So I, I was kind of thinking about if that was going to happen or not. But when you got to OKC, I thought it was a, a lot better fit, especially that season. Yeah. We still had Chris Paul, Stephen Adams. Gallo, yeah. you know. Yeah, we had a great team. Yeah. Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, Dennis Schroeder. Like yep. SGA, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and it was tough to, to to get that call about getting traded, especially, like, when I felt like I hadn't really got the opportunity yet to, to show what I can do with the Mavs. Um, and – but I was glad that I ended up in OKC because they were a team that liked me a lot through the draft process. Oh, really? And, yeah, and, and me and Sam – when I went out to OKC for my, for my workout – you know, me and Sam had had lunch together, talked for like I think two, three hours, and just like got to know each other. And um, I felt like we really, you know, I felt like I really kind of matched what type of players they they like in OKC. You mm-hmm. know, so um, the fact that I was able to end up there, and they were they were willing to take me on as part of that trade was was awesome for me. And they they allowed me to get you know get healthy. I got surgery, and um, that was the year the bubble happened actually. So yeah. when, so when when they went down to the bubble, I got surgery like right away. So it was kind of like perfect timing for me. I was just about to ask you if you yeah. – I couldn't remember if you went down to the bubble or not. No, thankfully I didn't. I heard it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, you're down there playing basketball. Like, it's, it's not the worst place in the world. But, I mean, guys were like, man, I'm, I'm ready to go home, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's tough being in there. And you have the same routine every day. Like, even talking to some of the training staffs, like, there's only so many times you can walk the same two-mile radius, you mm-hmm. know, throughout your day. And, and and not you know not start to go crazy. So I was able to I was back in OKC the whole time, work uh, rehabbing and trying to get right. Yeah, that reminds me of a really funny moment that I remember from uh, Stephen Adams. Because hmm. like all you hear from like every NBA player about the bubbles, you know how weird it was. How, oh yeah, I remember that. And then Stephen Adams is the only one who's like, it was fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're staying That's in him, the though. resort. Yeah. That's him. Like he doesn't need much to to be pleased. But I remember they were posting the. Uh, like the food they got on the first day when they were still quarantining, it was like, it kind of looked like a, a little lunchbox full of like, just like slop and mm-hmm. <laughs> So I, I kind of understand that part, but I think guys made it work. And I think the NBA was, you know, it, it, we needed it as a as a business, you know, like that probably recouped so much money and, and, and outside of money, like it was just, it was big for entertainment. Like that was, mm-hmm. at that point we were watching like, you know, the NBA just had running reruns of games yeah. and classic games. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so I mean, it's all fun. It's all fun watching that stuff. But I feel like the bubble brought like a new sense of entertainment to the to COVID that you know we were missing. For yeah, sure. yeah. I thought it would have been it would have been really cool if they tried to do kind of like a reality TV spin on it, <laughs> where they like followed the teams around and everything. Yeah, I'm sure the players wouldn't love that. Not but. at all. <laughs> some guys would. You know, yeah. some guys some guys are built for that, but not not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So then at the start of your second season. Uh, in that off season, they hired Mark Dignall mm-hmm. because Billy Donovan left and went to the Bulls. Right. Um, and then Chris Paul was still on the team at that at that point when they first yeah. hired him. Yeah. Because yeah, when I first saw that happen, I got the notification Mark Dignall, who I had never heard of <laughs> before that, uh-huh. got hired by the Thunder. Uh, I saw that he was younger than Chris Paul. He was like thirty five. Yeah. I was like. They're probably trading Chris Paul and <laughs> like you know moving on from that kind of stuff, but so I was I was a little bit excited because you know you were still pretty young at that point. Too. I mean you're still young, but no, 24. I'm getting I'm getting up there. 24 yeah. in, the, in the NBA is like 50. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, 
uh, yeah, I mean, when they hired him, I was actually really happy because he, he was, when I got traded to OKC, and the way it kind of works around, I, don't, I mean, I'm, all the teams I've been a part of, I can't speak for every team, but every team I've been a part of, you have like an assistant you work with, like you watch film with him, you do your on-court workouts with him, stuff like that, and uh, Coach Dagnar was my assistant. Okay. So when they were when when Coach Donovan left and they were looking for a new coach, I was like, man, that would be awesome if De- if Coach Dagnall got you know promoted to head coach because you know we have we already have a great relationship and um, so when that happened, I was I was definitely happy for that and like you said, most people don't even didn't really know who he was yeah. or, and then you realize he's like he's the young I think he was the youngest guy in the in the NBA at the time so you know mm-hmm. I think the, the writing was on the wall on what the direction that the team was gonna gonna be you know yeah yeah um, makes sense. Um, I guess what was Chris Paul like to play with? Yeah, he, he was like another coach out there. Like he was like having a, a coach on the court with you because you know he always he's always talking. He's always gonna have guys in the right position. Um, yeah. You know he he like he literally never stops talking. Like like go out there, he'll play 15 minutes straight, come to the bench, and then just keep talking. He's like you know, and he has like really good recall. So like he'll be like he'll he'll play 10 minutes and then come back and be like, you remember that play where you know. Uh, where Gallinari, you know, he popped to the corner. Like he'll just go through a whole se- series and just to make sure you're you're thinking the game the right way, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really cool to be around him. Just just for you know, I was I was probably around him for like half a season, and I, yeah. I learned a lot. Um, but even off the court, you know, great dude. You know, like I, he also battled plantar fasciitis, so mm-hmm. he was giving me you know some give me some uh, advice on like how to take care of it, how to make sure you know. It doesn't come back. Like he was, he was, he was really good, really good dude for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Stephen Adams also. I wanted to ask you about him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you mentioned his strength before. Yeah. And that's like I feel like that's a discussion that people bring up a lot with him. Is uh, like who's the strongest player in the NBA? Is it Stephen Adams? Would you say? Uh, he's definitely. I mean, I can't think of many stronger. It's like him, uh, Valanciunas, Sabonis. Those three guys to me are the strongest guys. Mm, really, Sabonis. Yeah. Sabonis is real strong. And it's not even like with with Stephen Adams and Valanciunas, they're just they're just like massive people. Yeah. And Sabonis is is he's not as big as them, but he's uh. he plays with so much force, and mm. he he doesn't seem to take plays off. So like you know like first play, he's getting the ball at the high, at, you know at the at the high post, and he's going straight for your chest. You know he's he's that type of player. But Stephen Adams is definitely like when it comes to rebounding, trying to get him off his spot, screening like. He gets guys open, like mm-hmm. like when when John Morant comes off a screen from Stephen Adams, he's coming straight at me. Like yeah. you know, my, like the guard is gone. Like, uh-huh. like so, um, you know, it, he's definitely up there for sure. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I was gonna bring up your last two seasons, kind of like breakout seasons, especially last year. Mm-hmm. Like your numbers weren't like that much better as far as just the counting stats. You know, mm-hmm. it was a huge improvement, but. I think in terms of like the efficiency and also just like eye test and yeah. all that kind of stuff, I, I saw a lot of improvements. Uh, one of the big things was uh, turnovers. Mm-hmm. I, looking at the numbers the other day, I saw uh, you went from, I think, a, like a whole turnover per game down um, across those mm-hmm. uh, year two to year three. Was that kind of like intentional or, is it, or I mean obviously it's intentional to turn the ball over less but right. <laughs> was there something like you were specifically working on with that or yeah just learning the game um you know that was one thing I struggled with when I first got to the NBA is just knowing how to play the NBA game it's totally different from any other style of basketball I ever played before mm-hmm. because like in college you know it's 
and I, I don't really watch college now that much at all, so it might have changed. But you know, it was you know two bigs, a lot of roll and replace. Uh, you know, take it's just different game now mm-hmm. in the NBA. Like I had the ball a lot more as as in OKC I was playing the five man, mm-hmm. but even as a, as a four, like I had the ball in my hands a lot more than I was used to, and my efficiency was really bad my first year playing there. And I just had to sit down with my coaching staff and just they just went through like most of most of my turnovers are unforced. They're just you know carelessness with the ball, not being strong with the ball, um, you know, not being in the right spot. So last year that was a big step for me is just being able to be more efficient, take care of the ball, and uh, and honestly shoot the ball in certain situations where I might turn down a shot and and get into trouble when I might turn down a shot, dri- dribble into an area where you know there's no space, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So just just learning the game definitely helped that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also, you got a career high this this past year, mm-hmm. uh, thirty points in a win against Portland. Yeah, uh, I was watching that game. That was, you know, a bunch of people were sitting, mm-hmm. but like, it's not like you were playing against nobodies, you know. Right, right. Um, and you got that with like eight rebounds, four assists, two steals, two blocks. You were eleven for thirteen from the field, four or five from three. Um, and a few weeks before that, you had another really big game. And a win against my Nuggets, mm. uh, twenty six seven five again. Two blocks, two steals. Those show up a lot. <laughs> uh, and then you were nine of thirteen again, four or five from three. And yeah, watching that game, I don't know if Jokic just didn't have a scouting report on you, or like he was packing the paint against you, and yeah. not you know yeah. coming out at all. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean that's kind of my advantage against those bigger guys. Like you know, they're not used to guarding at the, at the three-point line or guarding mm-hmm. to step outside the three-point line. They, they're used to being able to plug the paint. And, you know, that's kind of like my advantage when it comes to guarding those guys. And, um, you know, I think that's why I was able to have so much success, at the, especially at the end of the year, um, playing a lot and um, being able to, you know, grab a rebound and, and, I, and I push it myself and now I got a guard on me. And, and then, you know, our point guard's getting guarded by a center now. So, like, stuff like that is just – I think that's what um, was, was really helpful for my game. And, and also just, you know, those last couple of games, just being really confident in my shot. Like, my shot was feeling really good, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, everywhere except from the free throw line, you know. <laughs> I think I was, like, part of, like, the 50-40-70 club or something. <laughs> but, um, you know, outside of that, like, my shot was feeling really good. I was just playing confident, playing strong. And, um, you know, that was it was a fun way to end of the year. And, you know, like you said, we had a lot of guys out with injury or um, COVID or whatnot. And, um it was it was fun to kind of play with those guys because we had guys coming up from the G League, we had guys who were getting assigned to uh, hardship deals like ten days and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it was it was kind of like a new lineup out there every night for a while, and it was just fun to go out there and compete you know, every night. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Your uh, three point percentage was like forty four and a half percent the last year, which was like I guess I didn't look up the rankings, but it had to be you know top five in the league, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Not many guys shoot that well. All right. I guess did you notice throughout the year uh, teams paying more attention to you or like being more prepared uh, where, where they would come out you know farther and stuff yeah, like that for sure and like teams would start to adjust where I would play the five and it would match their five to like our three like remember we played Utah at the end of the year and Gobert was guarding me and I came out hit two threes quick and then the rest of the game he was guarding you know somebody else mm-hmm. and so they, they and then they moved you know a four or a three to me so you know teams definitely were starting to adjust and you know that's just that's part of the game like it kind of made it more fun because it's like you know now I got a smaller guy on me 
now I'm able to get some other stuff into the game and, you know, they're even more cross matched. So um, it was definitely, it was definitely, and then like, even like coaches, coaching staff started like talk crap to me. Like, I remember we were in Portland actually, and it was, it was halftime of that game where I, I had 30. And, um, one of the coaches is like talking, talking smack behind me. And he, like, I'm shooting in the corner and he's like, he's like, I, th he's like, I, th I think I could, I think I could take Roby. I think I could lock him up. <laughs> and I'm, I look, I'm turning around and it's a coach. I'm thinking it's a player, but it's, it's one of the coaches. And he asked Scott Brooks, who was one of the assistants for Portland. He's like, what you think coach? Like, you think I could get him? And Scott Brooks is like, Man, I don't know. <laughs> At that point, I think I already had like 18. I'm like, bro, like I'm, I don't know tonight. I'm not, maybe not tonight, man. Like tonight I'm feeling good. But, uh, and then like just throughout the game, he kept on talking to me. And so like that, I love that part about it. I feel like I've just grown in that sense of like other teams, other coaching staff, you know, they're trying to, you know, get in my head, trying to, mm -hmm. but I think, I think it's a sign of respect. You yeah. Know, yeah, you know, the sure. fact that, you know, they're, uh, they're trying to do that. Yeah, uh, no, I believe it. I was also, while looking at your basketball reference page, I was looking at your like splits. Mm -hmm. And one thing that really popped out to me was uh, your numbers in wins versus losses. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that you you actually minutes per game wise you're at 27 minutes per game in your wins, and about 19 minutes per game mm. in your losses. Mm. So, I think that's pretty good evidence that you know you're a winning player for them. Honestly, yeah, uh, you were legitimately winning them some games down down the stretch of the season. Yeah, for sure. And and you know some fans weren't too happy about that. For yeah. us. <laughs> you know I got some bad DMs from. But I wouldn't even call those guys fans to to be to be honest with yeah. you. Like I, I understand like the whole. Um, I mean I don't know how much I don't know how much you want to get into it, but I understand like at the at the end of the year teams are like if you're not in a chance to make the playoffs or win, the fans want you to lose to get yeah. a better pick. But I mean at the end of the day, like we're you know we're not gonna go out there and try to lose. Like we're gonna go out there and try to play hard, and especially on a team like that where we had so many young guys who were like, you know, still trying to get their footing in the NBA, like. You know these these opportunities don't come around that often. Like I think at the end of the year we had a, two, a three game road trip. We had six guys playing, and and I was one of them. And I played ten minutes, and I was done for the rest of the game. So we had five guys playing like forty eight minutes a game. You know, and and this you know for some of them that might be the first time on the on NBA court for real. Mm -hmm. So you know I, I think that it was it was it was kind of I don't like that part about NBA Twitter NBA you yeah. know, NBA circles is like oh. We just throw the game. We don't need to win. It's like mm -hmm. you know, this is our livelihood. You know. Yeah, makes so. sense. Yeah, I I think that it it shows a lot of like at least with like Philly and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think it's really shown to bear out like really good results when you mm -hmm. are just really trying to tank, especially like at the player and coach level. I feel right. like it always should just be attitude. You're going to win the game. Or you're yeah. going to try. You know. Yeah, and and the coaching staff they never you know that's that's one thing people ask me a lot. It's like oh like the coaches are like. Did they ever mention anything about not trying? It's like mm -hmm. no, like they're they're in the same boat as us. Like you yeah. know, they they are trying to establish themselves as coaches. Uh, a lot, I know a lot of coaches see themselves as becoming head coaches in this league. So you know, they're trying their best too. And it's like um, you know, some things are out of their control. Some things are out of the players' control. But at the end of the day, you know, it's you know, they're, they're, nobody's going out there trying to lose. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> yeah, we're too competitive. Like you don't make it to this level without being you know, crazy competitive. Yeah. So. Yeah. My dad is one of those guys who thinks like all sports are rigged now. Like, I know. Like, they're they're, they're I know. just deciding the, all these series. Yeah. I was like, there's no way. How, would, how could they coordinate? I got a that? lot of friends like that too. They're like, they're like, there's no way that, that, uh, you know, this, I don't know. There's like what you said, like sports are rigged. Yeah. It's like, it would have to be like some sort of 
like how how could you like when people are like oh like somebody made a layup and they flip they flipped the money line on our, on our on my bet uh-huh. and they knew that they did it on purpose like <laughs> bro, I, I guarantee you the dude wanted two points he was not worried about your money line bet, yeah exactly know? yeah um, yeah last year you got it's like ten five and two um, and then one block one steal in your per one hundred like per one hundred possessions you're all the way up at like two blocks two steals a game and I noticed your offensive de- defensive rating is really good. Uh, 120 offensive rating, 111 defensive rating. Mm-hmm. Um, like all these, you know, stuff, like just looking at like compared to other guys from your team or other guys like last season that, you know, good players even, it's right. like those are good numbers, like yeah. the analytics, everything, you know. Right. Um, and that's a big part of the game now is yeah. analytics. There's always, there's always the eye test and, you know, a lot of guys will say screw analytics, but, I mean, being an efficient player is definitely um, – I, my, my first year, I was a, I was an inefficient player, and like that's something that I had to look in the mirror and and really focus on last year. So I'm I'm glad that you know the the numbers reflect, reflect that for sure. Yeah, definitely do. And yeah, so I was worried. I I saw you know looking at Spot Track, looking at your contract on on the internet, mm. uh, I saw that you know you had the team option coming up for this season. I was a little bit worried that OKC wouldn't pick it up just because I know you know front office wise they're going really youth culture movement you know right. type of thing. So. I was I was really happy when I saw that they did, but then, not even a week later, right? It was right before the deadline where the money sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, they ended up waving. So, after that though, I knew you'd end up somewhere. You know, just mm-hmm. all the numbers I just read, stuff like that. Like, your just your size, your ability to shoot, all that kind of stuff. You're gonna find somewhere to land. Um, but I guess what was it like in your camp? Like, did your was your agent? I'm sure he was reaching out to teams, talking. Did you have a feel for what was going to happen? Honestly, once once I got waived, no, I hadn't. I didn't really have an idea like what was going to happen. Um, you know, it was weird because all summer, you know, there's always rumors, especially around o- OKC, because you know we had a lot of roster turnover. We have a lot. Of, we have a lot of draft capital and, and picks. Yeah. So like there was oh, a yeah. lot of noise all summer about you know like oh like this team's looking to trade for X Y Z. This this team's looking to trade. So. You know, I, I spoke to my agent a lot over the summer. Like, you know, I got I got this guaranteed date. Is there any chance I get traded before? And he's like, you know, there's always a chance. But he said, I think that OKC will, is going to pick you up. Like, you know, you played well enough. And if they don't pick you up, you play well enough to, to land somewhere in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they once they waived me, it was kind of like, okay, now we got to wait 48 hours. Because I guess the way it works is teams are allowed 48 hours to, to put in bids or, or to try to claim you off waivers. Yeah. And then it goes by, you know, worst record to best record. Um, but I was kind of like, you know, even if I don't get picked up off of waivers, there's other teams that, you know, would still be willing to to sign me because pretty much what my agent was telling me was there's certain teams that were interested in me, but they couldn't sign me because, you know, whether it was like luxury cap room yeah, yeah. Um, or like there was, I forget what team it was, but one of the better teams um, in the league and that liked me a lot. But if they would have picked me up, because of their salary cap, my deal would have cost them like five times the amount. Yeah. So like you know there was there was always that like mm-hmm. I wanted to go to a you know I wanted to be on a team, and you know I wanted it to be a good fit, but like it was kind of tough to to know where it was going to be, and I'm I'm really glad it was San Antonio because San Antonio was a team that was really high on me in the draft, and you know I I, I played really uh, really well against them in my few years in the league already, so you know um, uh, but like e- even outside of that like 
when I was going through the pre-draft process, I worked out for them two times. Like that's, okay. you know, that's not something that usually happens unless the team's really interested in you. So definitely glad to get picked up by San Antonio and get down there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been down there yet? I was about to ask you. Not this summer. Mm-hmm. Not this summer. No, I've been, I've been uh, living in Chicago this summer working out and then, um, I'm headed down there next week. We got like a little mini camp, so before training camp starts up in September. Yeah, nice. So that's where you'll kind of get acquainted with everybody. Yeah, I'm tired of moving. You know, yeah. I'm tired of moving around. I've been <laughs> been traveling a lot this summer. So before we start traveling for the season, I'm looking forward to getting down there and just you know getting in the gym and just getting situated for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. So um, Spurs, you know, really good organization. I was happy to see them being the ones that picked you up. But like just before that, you know, the DeJounte Murray trade mm-hmm. for just draft capital and I guess Gallo's contract was in there as salary filler. But I was kind of expecting I, – I didn't really know what to expect. I still really don't because mm-hmm. it's like that's the type of move you make right before you're, you go rebuild. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Greg Popovich being your head coach still, yeah. 73 years old. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't think he's going to be wanting to lose games this season. Right. Um, so I'm sure you're still going to be a competitive team. You might even, you know, make a push for the plan, you know, right, something right. like that. So. Yeah, and I mean, I know I, have, I don't really know them personally, but like just playing against the Spurs the last couple of years, like they, like you said, Coach Popovich is the, is the head coach of the team. Like you know, they're they're going to play a certain way. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a, we're going to have a certain level of expectations, and you know, we got a lot of competitive guys. Like I, I mean, you watch Kelvin Johnson play, and he's you know he's a fiery he's a fiery competitor. Yeah. Like. Um, and then, so I mean, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to being part of it. You know, was, when it comes to like the direction of the team, you know, I'm sure that there'll be more talk about that later. But you know, um, as of right now, I'm just looking forward to you know getting down there and getting to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you also got some depth, I guess, at that big wing and, and big position. Mm-hmm. They just drafted Jeremy Sohan mm-hmm. out of Baylor. Uh, Kata Bates Diop is there. Doug McDermott from Creighton mm-hmm. is there too. They even play small sometimes with Kelden at the four. Yeah. And then the, the big guys, they got Jakob Pertl, obviously, uh, Zach Collins, and they just picked up Gorgie Jang, too. Yeah. So I guess what role, like, do you have an anticipation at all for what kind of role you're, you're going to be playing there? Not really. Um, you know, that's the one thing that, I, I, like, I, I talk about a lot is, like, I, whenever you feel like you have it figured out in the NBA, I feel like something happens that you just – you just couldn't see happening. So like, you know, I, I wish I could just be like, you know, this is gonna be my role. But for me, it's like, I'm just gonna go down there and, you know, th- they have a pretty good idea of what type of player I am right now. But, you know, I'm 24, I still have a lot to grow, a lot of room to grow. And um, so however I can help the team win and, and be competitive, that's that's what I'm there to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, remind me, I might be wrong on this, but was it, wasn't it was it Jakob Pertl that you had a pretty big dunk over? Yeah. It was? It was him. <laughs> yeah. And he's, I mean, he's he's a great shot blocker. Like, so, yeah, no, I mean, sure. and he, he's, uh, we've, we've had a couple battles now because, you know, when I was with OKC, I was playing a center. So, you know, we've, we've had some, some good games against each other and, you know, chopped it up a little bit on the court. Um, he's one of those guys where, like, you know, sometimes when a guy's so big, the ref a little he'll let you get away with some stuff. Like you yeah. know, you, you might be able to hold his arms down, and the ref might let it slide a little bit. So I've definitely played you know played some some uh, competitive games against him. So I'm looking forward to being on his team now for yeah. sure. Yeah, even getting away with fouls, it wouldn't even hurt that bad, I guess, if you did send him to the line sometimes. Because <laughs> I mean, hey, he's got the he, he's a really good. The thing I like most about his game is like he, for one, he's big. He's a big yeah. dude. 
but he's able to play the drop so well. Like I've, I honestly, like I watched him a lot last year just mm -hmm. to, to work on my own game. I would watch how he played the drop. You know, he's he's a lot bigger than me. Um, and you know I have, to, I have to play a little differently, but he's he's definitely a guy that defensively, especially. Oh yeah. I, I you know I picked his game apart from. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, no, he's definitely really underrated. Yeah. I agree with that. He, he's kind of like Brook Lopez, like yeah. on the defensive end, where it's like you, it doesn't jump off the screen, or like you don't necessarily like the average NBA fan doesn't think that they're that great defensively, but yeah, yeah, no, they both get it done, especially when they're like allowed to play the way that they yeah. are good at playing, you know, in that yeah. drop coverage. So. Yeah, moving on to the Spurs, or a storied franchise, you know. So I thought it might be fun to do a little Spurs trivia for okay, you really quick, see how you do. <laughs> I'm gonna um, I'm gonna, I want to preface it by saying I did not grow up watching the NBA. Okay. So I, just, I, I, I didn't really – I watched a lot of college ball growing up, but, you know, I'm, I'm giving myself an out early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, well, we'll start off really easy. Okay. Um, so – or I don't know, maybe this isn't, isn't going to be super easy, but – how many championships do the Spurs have as an organization? For a hint, they're all with Tim Duncan, so they're Three. all pretty recent. Three? Five. Five? Yeah. Um, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so five, so they won. Okay, he won with David Robinson. Yep, okay, I forgot. I forgot about those. He won one or two with David Robinson. I don't know if Robinson was still there in 03, but it was 99, 03, 05, 07, and 14. Okay, five. Yeah. I, you're, 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 I need this because if I go to San Antonio and don't know this, I feel like it's going to be bad. You know, so <laughs> I need this. Yeah, I figured. Uh, what Spurs legend is often credited for popularizing the Euro step? Manu. Yep. Yeah, Manu for sure. There you go. Um, what college did Tim Duncan go to? Wake Forest. Yep. Wake Forest. I only right. know that because my, my guy, Olivier Saar, uh, he um, – He's like, he, he reps Wake Forest big time, even though he played at Kentucky and Wake Forest. But I used to give him crap and call him, call him young Tim Duncan. <laughs> he, played, he played Wake Forest. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, you're two for three now. I am heating up. Yeah. Um, all right, now we're going to do some Spurs franchise leaders not yeah. named Tim Duncan. So all, right, cool. all, all the franchise leaders that aren't Tim Duncan. Um, first one is three-point field goals. And um, Bowen? Say that again. Bowen? Bruce Bowen? Nope. No. I don't know how long you played there. Yeah. Uh, I get another guess. Yeah. Uh, dang. Can't be Patty Mills. He didn't play there long enough. Mm -mm. Yeah, I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah, it's Man Manu Ginobili again. Oh, dang. Yeah, he was there for quite a while, so. You don't him. really think of him as that, like, you know, potent of a three-point shooter. Right. But. Yeah, you really don't. But, I mean, he was just all around great offensive player. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah, for sure. Um what was the next one? Let me look through these. Free throws. Who is the, lead, the leader in free throws? Uh, no, actually made. made. Yeah. Made. Uh, oh, man, this is tough. Tony Parker. Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these are going to be hard. They are. Is it, okay, what, what's his position? He's a center. Uh, David Robinson? Yep, okay. there you go. Okay, cool. I'll do one more of these. Um, <laughs> How many more do you got? There's a few. I'm just looking through the basketball reference page. Okay. I kind of like this. Um, th okay, this one is going to be a current teammate of yours. Okay. Uh, it's field goal percentage. Highest field goal percentage? Yep. Uh, Jakob. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, uh, actually, one more. I'm going to do one more. Okay. This, this is going to surprise you. This is a tough one. You're, you're not going to get this one. <laughs> the three-point field goal percentage leader, franchise leader, and it's the same exact percentage you shot last season. Oh, wow. Uh, 
it's surprise. It's gonna be surprising because he's not a shooter. Or, yeah. Oh really? So well, fight? he's not known to be a super good shooter. I guess right. he definitely it, doesn't uh, take very many attempts. I was gonna say Matt Bonner, but he's a shooter. Mm-hmm. Um. And also, he was barely there. I think he was there for one or two years. Oh, maybe. Dang. Okay, so this is tough. Uh, was it Aldridge? No, no, he was there for longer than that. Mm-hmm. Dang, I'm just trying to think of guys I know. George Hill? He's kind of similar to Aldridge. Like, oh. same position. Okay. A little bit older than him, though. Okay. Um, was it a Splitter? Nope. I'm about to say, dang, I don't know. I really don't know. It's Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol, wow. Shot 44.4%. Wow. <laughs> hey, Pau Gasol is a legend, man. Yeah, how does it feel to have the, like, if just going based off last season, you have the highest three-point percentage in Spurs history? <laughs> that's, that's, that's not a bad club to be a part of, man. Yeah. Got to get my attempts up for sure this next year. I think that's probably why I haven't been able. Well, whatever. Yeah, it'll it'll. Um, it's definitely special, you know. Yeah. Definitely special. That's 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 a lot of hard work and just, um, like I said with OKC, like give them giving me the ability and the platform to, to work on my game, you know, from from the time I got in the league. So that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely a testament to that. Yeah. All right. So we'll finish this little thing out with um, a couple of quick hitters. Uh, this is a pretty cliche question, but just figured I'd ask it. Did you have a welcome to the league moment? <laughs> uh, there's not one that really sticks out in my head, to be honest. Really? Um, I guess just like my first couple of games, just like seeing, just to seeing the level of, I mean, as a rookie, like I remember our first, I'm pretty sure our first preseason game was against Milwaukee. I remember seeing Giannis and just seeing him just do stuff that was just like it looked so easy for him. Yeah. But like if anybody else in the world did it, it would be like like the most amazing thing ever. Like you know, like one dribble from the from the wing, one dribble spin move, dunk on a guy. Like mm-hmm. it's like he just he just did it and went to the next play and he could do it every play if he wanted to. Like that, that was really impressive to me. But um, outside of that, I mean, uh, I don't I never really had like a moment where like I got like you know cooked by anybody. Um, nothing like that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do you have like a hardest player to guard? Giannis. Giannis. Yeah. Giannis or um, Embiid. Embiid. Those guys are. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason they're you know perennial MVP candidates. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. those guys are crazy. Dominant for sure. Yeah. Road games. You have a favorite place to play? Favorite place to play. The Garden. Yeah. Yeah. I feel garden. like that's everybody's answer. <laughs> yeah. The Garden is awesome. And I think I'm undefeated there so far, 2-0. Oh, really? So, yeah, oh, that's so, nice, yeah. Yeah, the Garden. Well, you also have a pretty good record against LeBron and the Lakers, don't you? I think you beat them the twice Lakers, last year. The Lakers, yes. LeBron, not so much. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, 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 two we, the two games we beat them last year. Actually, I think we beat them three times last year. May, oh, maybe. We beat them three times and lost once, and that, that once was with LeBron. Oh, no, actually, no, you're right. You're right. At the end of the year, we lost again. So we won two, lost two. One of them was with LeBron, and and we didn't we did not beat them that game. But you know he came back after the first two games. I think the first game we played, we were down like twenty seven, ended up coming back to win. Hmm. And then um, the second game, kind of the same story. I think we were down big, came back to win. And the third game, Bron came back, and a little different story. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you have a favorite highlight of your own? Uh, probably the game, probably the shot I hit to go to overtime in Portland. Oh yeah, probably that one. That's a good one. Yeah, that yeah. was that was that was pretty big. I mean, to hit that against my favorite team growing up, you know, mm-hmm. pretty big. Especially, um, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, yeah, probably say that one. Yeah, 
There's also the Vucevic. I feel like that's where a lot of people knew who you were. Yeah, that was my first moment where people were like, "Oh, like who's this dude?" Yeah, like who's this dude? Yeah, so that was that was definitely cool. That was one of those moments where I'll never forget. That was my first start, too, and that was a cool story. Like I was just driving. I think I was driving back home from getting shots up in the morning, and um, I forget what the reasoning was, but maybe maybe Al Horford was hurt or something. But coach called me. He was like, "Are you ready? Like I'm giving you the start tonight." And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, let's go. I'm like, Vucevic, let's go. That's, that'd be a great, great first challenge. Yeah. And so that was, that was. I'll never forget that day for sure. Yeah. Uh, what number are you gonna be wearing? Jersey number in San Antonio? Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, they got a lot of, they got a lot of good numbers retired. Oh really? You know. Yeah. So and then, and then the the rest of the numbers are already picked over, man. One of the rookies got twenty two. So mm. I tried to, I tried to talk to my guy Wieskamp. Uh, I tried to ask him for 15. 15, yeah. yeah I was going to say. He wasn't going. <laughs> he wasn't going for it. So 18, 18 would be fun, though. Yeah. New, new chapter. Yeah, no, I like that because you don't really see it very often. Right. Yeah, who's the best player in the world right now, in your opinion? Uh, that's tough. I'll probably have to go with Giannis. Yeah, I, I figured you were going to say Giannis. Uh, do you have a second one? Somebody besides Giannis, because um, I feel like I feel like he is like consensus. Yeah. We'll just say he's he's number one. After this past season, I'd probably have to say Steph. Steph. Hmm. Yeah, probably Steph. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I'd probably say Giannis, Steph, and then Jokic. Jokic. Jokic yeah. like two two B. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basketball Mount Rushmore. If you had to pick four guys. Four guys all yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So Jordan, Bron, Kobe. Jordan, Brian, Kobe, and then uh, I'm gonna go Bill Russell. Bill Russell, okay. RIP, RIP, Bill Russell, man. Yeah, for sure. One yeah, of the, one of the most winningest players ever, and mm-hmm. you know, so I'm putting, I'm putting him up there with those guys. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good one. I was guessing you were either gonna do that or instead of Bill Russell, do Kareem. I yeah. was like, it's, it's gonna be one of those two. Yeah, Kareem. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Uh, Kareem is he's a different different type of animal like I go back and watch I went back and watched a lot of his stuff it's just crazy how the game has came so far but I feel like in, in any era he's he's dominated mm-hmm. you know like he's one of those guys same with Bill Russell like I know people say a lot about like oh they're playing plum- plumbers and yeah. mailmen but those guys are just in any era they would have had success yeah you know? for sure yeah. for sure um, also that that fourth spot on Mount Rushmore is really hard to do because like it's hard to put like magic in there and not bird, you know, try to right. separate them, like stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like the, the top three are kind of cemented in my eyes. Uh-huh. But, you know, I'm also, I was born in 98, so, you know, somebody <laughs> might have a different answer than me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's going to be it for the questions, honestly. Cool. Uh, thanks for joining and good luck next season. Hope the Spurs, you know, you guys do make a push for the play in. Hopefully you're a big part of that. You and Yaka Pirtle down there on the block. Yeah, so. I like it. Yeah. I, like it. I appreciate you having me on and you know hopefully you know do this again sometime all right so yeah it was really fun to have isaiah on thank you guys for listening to that hope you enjoyed it we talked about afterwards maybe doing another one at some point during the season um over like a discord or zoom call so yeah which this one was the first time i had ever actually recorded in person with somebody for a podcast which was a pretty cool experience i especially noticed like the difference afterwards while i was editing that just like the delay or like the pause between us talking was so much shorter. It like almost sounded wrong to me. Like it sounded unnatural. Uh, But I was like, there's no way that 
you know, this would sound unnatural because we were literally sitting in the same room. I think my ears just so used to editing audio where there's like a little pause between everything that, you know, different people are saying. So that was kind of cool. I'd like to try to record some more like that, even like with Jacob and Anthony sometime. But yeah, I guess thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure to go check out the YouTube channel. Have some newer videos up there. The one that just came out this past week was me playing all three of the daily NBA games, which was a lot of fun. So it's Pirtle, Dribble, and then NBA Guess. And then next week's video is going to be me basically just going and looking at all of the updated rosters throughout the league and reacting to where people are right now. That either would be news to me or I haven't thought about in a little while. Just kind of looking at the bigger picture of every team's roster. So yeah, just uh, go check out the channel, subscribe over there, Hoop Theory on YouTube. And yeah, be sure to follow the feed here as well, whatever platform you're listening to this on. Again, thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you guys next episode. Mm -hmm.